I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to EE Times On Air. And this is your weekly briefing for the week ending October 30th. Two weeks ago, we had an episode about startup culture and venture capital. Last week, the show was about robots and the intersection of robot fiction and robot reality. This week, we're back to deep geek, so hold on tight. In this episode, this has been a year for semiconductor mega-mergers. The latest one is AMD, a giant supplier of CPUs and GPUs, buying Xilinx, the world's biggest FPGA company. We dissect the deal. Also, the market for artificial intelligence has been a bit of a free-for-all, with scores of relatively small startups, if not hundreds, and a smattering of really big companies essentially running their own skunk works. What hasn't evolved yet was a stable AI ecosystem that includes everything from semiconductor production equipment to design tools to AI architectural development. IBM and Synopsys are in the process of building just such an ecosystem. We talk with the two companies to find out what the plan is. Two of the five biggest deals in semiconductor history were announced earlier in 2020. Now that AMD has just confirmed it is going to buy Xilinx for $35 billion, that makes three of the five biggest chip deals ever announced this year alone. It's been a long time since the last time AMD splurged on a big acquisition. That last time the company went big was back in 2006 when it got into the GPU business with the acquisition of ATI for $5.4 billion. It was a great strategic move, but the debt load was a drag for a very long time, which may or may not explain why AMD hasn't engaged in as many mergers and acquisitions as some of its peers. That's part of the reason nobody really saw this deal coming. The purchase of Xilinx might have been the sneakiest $35 billion deal in history if someone hadn't leaked it to the press a few weeks back. EE Times evaluated what the deal might mean at the time, but two weeks ago, the possibility of the deal was still speculative. Now that the two companies have confirmed the rumor, it was time to match our expectations of why the deal made sense against the rationale provided by AMD and Xilinx. We called up Kevin Crewell, a particularly astute analyst who works for Tyrius Research and a frequent guest on this podcast. So the news came out a couple weeks ago. It was leaked to the press. Uh, We wrote a couple of stories about what we expected the deal might be. One of them was yours. And uh, I went back over it. It seemed fairly prescient. So, Two weeks ago, when this first came out, you said, well, uh, Xilinx is in a bunch of businesses that uh, AMD is not. AMD is in data center and can help uh, and uh, can use Xilinx to FPGAs to get in a little bit deeper. Uh, have you changed your tune at all? Were, did you Do you feel you were accurate? Do you have anything you want to take back or anything you want to add? Well, actually, I think I was reasonably accurate. And I'm uh, not to be too uh, bold about that. Uh, I think the reason, the, the number one reason was still data center. I think that's the 
the top of mind for both uh, for for Lisa Sue mm-hmm. was the growth of Xilinx and Data Center, and um, I think Xilinx has also done a really good job of, of developing AI software around its uh, versal application and its FPG application. So. They've been doing a really good job there, and I think actually AMD is lagging a little bit on that side of things. Um, they both have, uh, I think, together would have a better software story working together. Uh, and I th- really think that a good part of it is the diversification story. Mm-hmm. Um, AMD can now grow, it can grow organically, but with the acquisition of uh, Xilinx, it now grows quite a bit at a big leap forward in terms of the size of the company, the markets it addresses. Uh, AMD had resisted getting to some of these markets because it just didn't have the resources to do a good job of it, mm-hmm. especially in embedded industrial automotive defense. AMD just didn't want to put the resources in. It wanted to stay focused on building its PC gaming and data center business. But now Xilinx has all those relationships, has those market presence, has the sales force that drives those markets. And uh, I think now AMD can leverage that um, very expansive uh, portfolio and, and distribution channel that Xilinx has. So I think this is definitely one of those one plus one equals three opportunities for AMD and Xilinx working together to then build a better company. Um, I actually got a little bit of interesting color on this just today um, mm-hmm. uh, in that apparently um, uh, both uh, uh, Lisa and um, Victor, yes, Victor Peng, have been talking for actually a fairly long time about working closer together. So this wasn't as big a surprise uh, as it should have. Maybe, maybe, you know, we were surprised. I think kind of came out of left deal for most people. But apparently, those two had been talking quite a bit. They have connections in that they're both of uh, originally from uh, families are from Taiwan, and they both grew up in Queens, uh, New York. So they have uh, interesting sort of uh, similarities in some ways. Are you and a Queens boy? Uh, no, I'm just over the borderline. To, I'm a Long Island boy. Uh-huh. Uh, so, but um, so I think they, there was this, this, this sort of connection between the two of them, and the companies just have this uh, complementary uh, business. And then, as I pointed out, if you go back way in history, you know, more so than, than neither Victor nor uh, um, Lisa know about, but AMD actually was a second source for Xilinx parts back in the late 80s. So mm-hmm. there's actually a, a, a longer-term sort of big circle here between uh, AMD and Xilinx coming back together. Uh, a conspiracy a conspiracy theorist might say that Lisa dispatched Victor to go fetch Xilinx for her. That would be completely a conspiracy theory. <laughs> I, I don't think they actually had a, a, a big relationship before Victor left. Uh, I think they they meet in other venues like the SIA and and the, or the GSA now, and I think they've met at multiple events, and I think that's where they've built their relationship more recently. Uh, I don't think it goes back. I don't think Lisa had plotted this all along. I don't think so either. But gosh, when <laughs> you have a conspiracy theory just sitting there in front of you, you can't just ignore it. Uh, yes. But, you know, the <laughs> other thing is uh, it does give AMD another a, a, a couple of um, really key uh, 
solutions in and an expansive solution in data center because it now adds the Versal and the FPGA accelerators, but it also adds Xilinx's uh, smart NIC technology. Um, and then if you look at the the growth in the telecom space and the telecom and, and uh, the um, uh, the Zinc RF socks from Xilinx. Um, this is this is a very important product for Xilinx in that space, and AMD could then sell some of its its uh, um, Epic servers into that space as well. So there is a lot of, of opportunities for the two companies coming together uh, to address a, a bigger segment of these markets. All right, um, listening to uh, the the two executives, uh, you know, Victor and Lisa, were on their uh, a conference call. Um, the other day, talking about um, the quarterly financials and and this acquisition, and uh, Victor Peng was was very uh, enthusiastic about the possibilities uh, for the the edge market. Um, he he was he mentioned it a couple of times, and um, Lisa Sue didn't didn't even really acknowledge. I don't think she even said the word edge until somebody asked her a direct question. Um, is there a uh, um, is there any disconnect there, or is it just because uh, she was so excited about high performance computing and automotive and five G? I think it, no. I think the edge will was, wasn't necessarily on her radar just because uh, the goal for AMD was to, to establish itself in the, in the, the core data center. Mm-hmm. Uh, the edge is something that uh, Xilinx was much more engaged with for a longer period of time, mm-hmm. and AMD was not. So again, again, it wasn't top of mind for her, just like automotive wasn't top of mind or industrial. But these are long term growth opportunities. Uh, that Xilinx brings to the table and uh, combining what Xilinx is already doing in edge applications where uh, they're putting a lot of focus on. And you add some of the AMD technology on top of that. Uh, I think that th- those are will, will further strengthen their portfolios for edge. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, Victor will have some influence over uh, the, the uh, roadmap of, of AMD processors. Right now they're, they're focused heavily on big cores at some point in time, uh, they'll. I think AMD will have to start looking more investment into lighter weight cores for these edge applications, or will they continue to use the ARM cores that uh, Xilinx is using? Hmm. It, may, it may be a little more complicated if Nvidia finishes the acquisition of ARM, but uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll. It's going to be complicated no matter what for the for for uh, Nvidia and ARM. Yeah, this definitely sets up. Um uh, Intel, AMD, and NVIDIA to, to butt heads even more than they ever used to. More, oh, they're just continuing to butt heads even more. Yeah, it's it's just continues this this uh, uh, triumvirate of competition between the three companies. That's not letting up any anytime soon. So, how about the uh, the FPGA market in general? Intel bought Altera a few years back. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were the number two supplier. Um, they still are. They still are. AMD just bought Xilinx. The number three supplier, last I looked, was Lattice. And they were so far behind that they actually um, uh, went after uh, a bunch of completely different markets, um, uh, you know, for, forged their own path to, to find a, a, a way for, towards uh, – 
towards um, you know self sufficiency that way. What does this mean for people who for other um, other customers of FPGA products? Does it make a difference that uh, there isn't a big independent FPGA supplier out there? Well, I don't know if it really makes that big a difference. Uh, these these uh, consolidation and spinouts go in waves. Yeah. Uh, so uh, who knows? You know how how long Lattice will actually remain independent? Because now that hey, you know Xilinx and Altera are gone, maybe somebody will start poking around buying uh, Lattice. Yeah, and oddly, and well, coincidentally enough, Lattice is being managed or CEO of Lattice right now is Jim Anderson who was a former executive vice president at AMD. So uh, there's a, unfortunately. Another conspiracy theory. Uh, no conspiracy, but, yeah. but uh, you know, Jim is, Jim is very focused on uh, this kind of more low power, uh, very efficient uh, FPGA business. He's mm-hmm. not looking to grow into the Jungbo FPGAs that Xilinx and uh, Altera do. Mm-hmm. And by focusing on that part of the market, uh, he's doing very well. He's got some, Vertical uh, segments and uh, video that he's doing, uh, they're doing well in. Uh, and I think that's, they're very focused on that. But, you know, I would not be surprised that at some point in time, um, Lattice becomes the next uh, FPGA player to come into play here. Yeah. Well, okay. Anything uh, anything I, we haven't t- talked about with, about AMD, Xilinx, or the FPGA market? Or do we have yeah. pretty much cover for now? Oh no! Actually, there's one other item I think yeah. that's really important. It's sort of, and and actually, Lisa did mention this, and that is packaging. Right. You know, packaging is becoming a much more critical factor in design going forward. Everybody's talking about heterogeneous compute and chiplets, and all this. Uh, you know, uh, Samsung's uh, foundry uh, uh, program today was they're talking about chiplets and mm-hmm. disaggregation of dye. So, uh, what Xilinx is one of the leaders in two and a half D and 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 soon three D uh, stacking of uh, of their their FPGAs, and so. Uh, I think what Xilinx does bring is some more advanced packaging technology to AMD, uh, especially in, in silicon interposers and that, uh, which means that, you know, this, this uh, actually AMD's done well with chiplets and they've done it with, uh, you know, in package, uh, system and package type of things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the 2.5D technology that Xilinx had is even, uh, you know, is a basically next generation. So I think on the packaging side, the two companies working together will definitely uh, have some great synergies there. And packaging is uh, never to be underestimated going forward. Everybody talks about silicon, but packaging is becoming more and more critical these days. Mm-hmm. Kevin, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Uh, no problem at all, Brian. You take care. All right, you too. That list of the five biggest semiconductor deals ever, a few weeks ago, NVIDIA proposed buying ARM Holdings for $40 billion. That will be the biggest chip deal ever, should it be approved. The second largest is Broadcom's purchase by Avago in 2015 for $37 billion. The $35 billion AMD is paying for Xilinx makes that the third largest acquisition ever in the chip business. This latest deal drops SoftBank's purchase of ARM in 2016 for $32 billion down to the number four slot. Rounding out the top five is another deal announced just this year. Analog Devices 
$21 billion purchase of Maxim Integrated. And we still have a couple of months left in 2020. Artificial intelligence techniques have been employed for decades, but in the last 10 years or so, there's been an explosion of AI research set off by finally sufficient processing power becoming available, new hardware architectures being designed specifically for neural networking, and one clever AI algorithm after another being devised. Quite a bit of that activity has been scattershot, however. There are scores of startups all trying to outdo each other, hoping to be one of the few that will survive as viable commercial entities in the long term. While some of the biggest companies in the world, such as Facebook and Google, remain hunkered down and focused largely on their own separate development efforts. Last year, IBM Research embarked on a project to build an AI ecosystem that opened participation to a wide range of companies that would naturally have to be involved in a functioning AI ecosystem. IBM established a hub for AI research for itself and its partners, Samsung, Applied Materials, Tokyo Electron, and Synopsys. It's called the IBM Research AI Hardware Center. The center is on the verge of getting its first payoff. IBM Research and Synopsys announced they've achieved several tapeouts and test chips of designs targeting advanced process manufacturing nodes. It seemed like a good time to find out what's in store. My EE Times colleague Junko Yoshida and I set up a discussion with IBM Research Vice President Mukesh Kare and Synopsys Vice President Arun Vankachar about the progress the team has made so far and where it intends to go. Tell us a little bit about the IBM Research AI Hardware Center. I think we need to sort of set the um, sort of foundation. What is it and how, and then we can talk to Synopsys, how Synopsys got involved in this. That's great. Uh, First of all, thank you. Uh, Junko and team for inviting me for this uh, conversation. And uh, it's really exciting that uh, we are able to share, uh, you know, what we're doing under AI Hardware Center. AI Hardware Center is a public-private partnership that we had launched in February of uh, 2019. And the whole idea is to bring the industry together to, you know, develop a new roadmap for AI hardware. As we know that the demand for AI compute is uh, growing exponentially. So what we wanted to do was to bring uh, several of the companies together along with academia to develop a new roadmap for AI hardware innovation. And we set out a very ambitious goal of improving AI compute efficiency by 1,000 times in 10 years. That's the ambition that we launched for ourselves, And we are very proud that we have partners like Synopsys who are part of this journey to realize this very ambitious roadmap. Our goal is to improve compute efficiency 2.5 times per year. And we are on this journey together with, uh, with our partners like Synopsys. 
I would also add, that, Junko, one more point that uh, this is a very unique partnership and very unique center where we are innovating across the entire stack because we really believe that in order for AI hardware innovation to realize this ambitious goal, we need to innovate in all aspects of technology, the all the way from devices and materials and chip design to software and algorithm, everything together so that different pieces of puzzle can come together in a full solution uh, rather than one piece of technology. So that's the exciting part to bring the full innovation stack together in this AI hardware center uh, collaboration. Right. So it's a very ambitious project. I get that. But now, you know, the part about Synapsis, I was a little confused at the very beginning. A part of the reason is that, uh, so it is not like IBM Research just happened to become a client of Synopsys. Maybe the objective is, is bigger than that. Arun, can you explain? Yeah. Hi, Jim Brand. Thanks for inviting us over here today. Um, as Mukesh talked about, when they embodied the uh, ambitious goal of 1000X, you know, it really got us interested because Synopsys has been building solutions for CPUs, GPUs, and all kinds of architectures. And AI is a new entry into our portfolio. And for the last five to six years, we've been looking at this whole hardware architecture journey. One of the things unique about this relationship, which we are excited about, is the research aspect of it. Because here we are talking about building solutions right from devices, materials, all the way up to the stack of verification and prototyping. Synopsys has the breadth and the depth for these solutions today. And that's what got us interested. So we started looking at building tools and innovating new ideas for the AI hardware architectures. As you can imagine, these architectures are quite complex. You need to innovate new, new ideas, especially when it comes to manufacturing, yield, and 3D packaging. These are areas where we have to really go beyond what we've been used to. So this is more about using research and building solutions while we sell tools to IBM. So it's that different kind of an EDA vendor partnership that's at play at this point. So, Mukesh, why did you decide to work with Synopsys? I could imagine that there, there are a lot of uh, EDA companies out there. They also um, do uh, quite a bit of AI research. A great question. Well, first of all, we needed a great partner like Arun uh, to be able to work with. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, beyond that, uh, clearly Synopsys is a leader in, uh, you know, electronic design automation software, emulation, prototyping solutions. And clearly, they had the same mindset of uh, what type of innovation that need to be, you know, brought together between IBM Research and Synopsys being the leader in this field to really, you know, work on this journey together in a collaborative manner. So it's the partnership. It's bringing the best of IBM and the best of Synopsys together to realize this very ambitious goal. And that's why we are proud of this partnership that they are able to join us and uh, get on this journey right from the beginning since the center was launched. Well, you know, I looked at the um, this IBM research, the, the, the hard, uh, hardware center thing, and then I realized that the Synopsys is not really the only partner. I mean, as, you know, as uh, Mukesh said, it's a whole stack, and that means that it includes companies like Samsung, Applied, Tokyo Electron, um, there are a lot of companies involved. So from your point of view, point of view, Arun, 
what do you get out of those other partners within this big ecosystem IBM is trying to foster? Yeah, a good question, Junko. I think if you really look at it, uh, when you look at AI hardware uh, designs lately, they're really pushing the edge. Either it be the size, the scale, the complexity, the performance, the power, the packaging, the manufacturing. You know, the entire stack is quite complex. And it needs a, a village, really, to really put together this entire solution. And so for us, the journey was not only to look at what we are doing today, but what's going to come tomorrow. And, you know, with the entire semiconductor ecosystem all being part of the AI hardware center and the vision that Mukesh and IBM has set is really a pivotal for us. It's a, it's a way for us to really move fast, be agile. And if you look at the way the IBM team is innovating, they're able to change architectures from tape out to tape out. This agility and the ability to try and work with the among the ecosystem to quickly come up with solutions to the end goal of making a tape out happen is really what we are excited about. So we can share quick information and IBM has been very good and professional about how they keep this thing, whole thing organized. They're keeping updates to the, you know, all the partnership. The ecosystem comes together very often and we are able to share our thoughts and quickly move fast on all the hurdles that we see. Are there any companies just like IBM? Are there any companies like Google, Amazon, Facebook? Are they doing similar kind of um, ecosystem building for the AI development. I can imagine that uh, they are also deep, hip deep into this AI research. And uh, how do you differentiate? I mean, where, you know, how, how, how is your role different, Mukesh, the, compared to, you know, the big, uh, um, you know, Facebook, uh, Google of the world? That's a great question, uh, Junko. As we, as I started, in explaining the AI hardware center, this is an end-to-end -end partnership. And that means we are bringing the best of materials research, the best of device research, the best of design and architecture, the best of software, the best of algorithms, all of it together. So they, we are pulling the entire innovation stack together. That is a unique capability that uh, we have in this center which is different than, let's say, if you innovate only in the software space or if you innovate only in the design space. So that's the thing that we are very proud of, that we could put this together. As an example, on the software side, we also announced our partnership with Red Hat, where Red Hat is going to be part of the AI Hardware Center so that the, so that the, the, the hardware can be consumed. We developed software to be so that the hardware is easily consumable in the hybrid cloud environment. And this is, instead of developing software and hardware in series, we are developing software and hardware together so that we can get best uh, uh, value from both of these technologies in this end-to-end -end initiative. Are you going to be concentrating on any particular flavor of neural network you have convolutional neural networks, you have spiking neural networks. So that's one level. Uh, there are so many different architectures for how to, to implement uh, a, a neural network in hardware. Um, I'm wondering if I can get to ask you where your starting points are going to be and where you think you can go, f at least in the near term and 
if you have long-term plans for where to go with it, I'd love to hear that too. Well, uh, uh, great question. We are starting with deep learning and deep learning is our uh, you know focus as the starting workload. We are going to expand from there as we partner with uh, with uh, both uh, you know members of the center as well as the end users and client. So we are starting to design from a clean slate. And that's the beauty of the center that instead of taking a legacy design and trying to modify that design, we start clean and say, hey, you know what? This is the math that is needed for deep learning workload. Let's think about what type of circuit and what type of architecture that you need for that type of uh, AI workload and then start to design it ground up in a very agile manner as Varun described so that we uh, as so that we can uh, you know we can leverage the the best ideas of how to get these uh, uh, new codes developed and validated on silicon very quickly but with a very clear mindset of uh, this is the workload this is the math and how does that math translate into circuit design and, and chip architecture so there are something like 30,000 AI companies right now um, who are already, so, some of them starting from scratch. Um, what gives you the confidence that you'll be able to hit the ground running and be able to do something that those guys won't already be in the process of that's, doing? That's a very good point. I will say it's so exciting it's like a renaissance in the field of uh, hardware. Think about it, right? It was not... <laughs> it's the Wild West you can get into, right? <laughs> the, the things were like this, uh, I will say, like 20 years ago. And then hardware was like kind of boring. And then suddenly, a lot of startups are really putting their energy. So I think it's a positive energy. It's a positive energy that there's so much innovation happening in this space. And we can learn from all of that. At the same time, the value that we believe in our initiative is again the partnership it's the bringing expert the, the best companies in the field together we can do best in our field synopsis is best in their field and bringing them together in this partnership it that gives us confidence because at the end our goal is to build a manufacturing technology that can be applied into our product the product of all the members of this hardware center so that keeps us grounded and that kind of brings the positive energy of all of these companies together in this initiative. In your introduction to, uh, to this partnership, um, uh, one of the things that seemed to be one of the concepts that, uh, that you seem to be stressing was um, the value of, of, of interconnect, interconnect the ability uh, of communication uh, um, you know, moving, moving data around within a chip and on and off a chip. Um, can I get you to tell us a little more about uh, what that challenge is and um, how you anticipate approaching it? Uh, that's that's a great question. Uh, clearly, this uh, the you call it the von Neumann bottleneck, the the bottleneck of moving data between memory and uh, you know processor. It just takes so much energy. It's uh, it consumes a lot of power and it slows down the computation. So clearly, you know, addressing that uh, bandwidth problem is a very big part of this uh, AI hardware center initiative. And we have invested in the infrastructure to develop new heterogeneous integration and packaging technology. 
to be able to you know understand it and address it by using new uh, you know new interconnect or how do you bring these uh, memory closer to the accelerator as close as possible with the lowest loss and uh, you know lowest consumption of energy so we have uh, several projects in the space of uh, heterogeneous integration which we are driving working very closely with synopsis so that not only these hardware solutions are ready but also the right enablement is ready as we develop this hi technology to address this uh, you know bandwidth bottleneck uh, or the von neumann bottleneck that is created uh, in our traditional computing Excellent. So um, that's not an uncommon problem. Uh, as you go to conferences, uh, I'm sure as they've talked to your your colleagues, the concept of of chiplets has come up. How to how to get like you know smaller pieces to put them together, uh, interposers, stacking, all sorts of uh, options for uh, for getting the functional components actually physically closer together. Um, IBM invoked laminates, which was a new concept to me. Can you explain what that is and how it fits with all of the other interconnect options that people are, are exploring? Right. So we, uh, we have three things that we are focused on in the space of heterogeneous integration. One of them, as you touched, is advanced uh, fine pitch laminate technology. Because, uh, you know, uh, right now we are using silicon interposer technology. Now, silicon interposer being great technology is very expensive technology. And we need to come up with a technology which addresses the same uh, challenge but reduces cost substantially. And with the mindset of, uh, you know, being manufacturable technology that can be adopted broadly, we went on the path of... Uh, how can we introduce and what are the innovation needed with a partnership to develop this fine pitch laminate technology to address uh, you know connectivity between uh, uh, let's say hbm and uh, uh, and the accelerator that we are trying to put together next to each other and uh, i can also add in addition to that there are two more technologies that we are driving in this space uh, which is the you know using some of the technology called silicon bridge technology, which is embedded in the laminate to provide the fine pitch interconnect between AI chips, as well as we are introducing the full 3D integration through stacking of memory on top of the AI chip. So these are a lot of good, uh, you know, exciting areas uh, to innovate both on the hardware side, uh, on the process technology side, as well as on the design enablement side. Uh, again, working with uh, companies like uh, Synopsys, who is a leader in this field. And you feel confident that this set of technologies is extensible for 10 years and will get you that two and a half X improvement? Or are you going to be able to ride this for three years, four years, five years, and then have to come up with some new technique after that to get you to your 10-year horizon? Uh, uh, great questions. Uh, we have, uh, I'll say we have several technologies. Obviously, these are some of the, you know, very innovative and long-term technologies. And then beyond that, we are working on what we call analog AI uh, technology, which is going beyond digital into analog. You know, our brain is analog. Our brain is not digital. And if you want to replicate and mimic and uh, some of the functions of brain, then we need to develop materials and devices and chip architecture, which are analog in nature. And that's another exciting technology, which will which we will be introducing 
you know, as a part of this uh, long-term roadmap uh, into uh, into our uh, you know uh, into our journey for next ten years. So, Arun, how do you feel about uh, how do you feel about messing around with analog? <laughs> um, you know, for synopsis, in the end of it, uh, you know, there are some basic stuff that we do across the ED ecosystem. Uh, you know, analog is not new to us. We've been working with many companies that do analog. There are AI chip companies starting to do analog uh, as well, and we know the kind of challenges they have too. So, in a synopsis, uh, you know, as, as I was saying, that learning from all these different architectures, the EDA thrives in building solutions at scales, right? So, by looking at various architectures and various elements, we're able to design tools that can cater to an you know, ambition that IBM has today. So, when it comes to uh, looking at characterization of how you go about doing these things and how they're innovating. Go down to the materials and the physics level, you see there's a lot of challenges. And I think we see a lot of work going on in Synopsis right now just to bring those problems that Mukesh comes to us with. Uh, for example, it could be TCAD, where you're doing electrical model behaviors, or it could be in the area of OPC, lithography, where in lithography, there's a lot of challenges we have when it comes to, you know, is it printable or not? These basic questions about uh, in this complex architectures, can you print masks? Now, what's the source and sync or, or the behavior for a EUV, for example? Uh, how is your simulation going? How is your mass synthesis going on? So these are all the areas where you see a lot of challenges. That's where we are looking at. And on the top of the stack, there are issues with respect to scaling and performance and power. That's where your virtual prototyping emulation is a big aspect. I think Mukesh and us are collaborating a lot in fitting these SOC designs onto an emulation box. And Synopsis is a leader right now in terms of scaling to that kind of magnitude. And so that's the other innovation that's happening. And so we are getting ready with all the different aspects of the flow, right, from verification, design, IP. Let's not forget IP. There's a huge contribution we do in terms of IP models uh, so that they can go up and running faster on their side of things with the design wear product line. And then finally, the manufacturing and yield. So it gives us a full stack, like Mukesh talked about, uh, and uh, we cover the gamut. I think we are the only ones right now in Synopsis is covering that kind of a depth and uh, you know breadth in that stack. I have a question. I have a question, Brian. You're, you're allowed. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, uh, the 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 thing that I'm interested in. How open is this uh, ecosystem? In other words, if I'm if I'm an EDA company, I may not be Synopsis, but I'm just EDA company A, and EDA company A works with Google, and Google is my client. And I'll do my best to, you know, better improve Google's uh, hardware. Now, that knowledge stays with Google because I'm working with Google as a client. Now, in this case, this IBM Air hardware center seems a little bit open. And I just want to know the, the difference of relationship and some of the IPs or some of the expertise you learn along the way. How will do you expect that to be trickling down to the rest of the bigger uh, chip industry? Uh, that's a great question, Junko. And number one, IBM has been a leading partnership for more than two decades in this space, as you know. And uh, obviously now AI hardware in the past, we ran you know, memory partnership. Uh, we continue to have logic partnership. We, uh, we respect the IP constraints, and when we work with any company, that constraint is like absolutely 100%, uh, you know, ensured that it's uh, it's something that is, uh, you know, guaranteed and trusted. So with every company, we have appropriate uh, uh, partnership agreement that how we want to share that IP 
Arun, can you explain that how do you expect this partnership with IBM Research help you gain your stature, but also more clients in the AI space? What's your expectation? Yeah, so I think for us, uh, this as uh, Mukesh said, right, there are some things where we have an agreement with IBM on which we are producing solutions or building new solutions for them. And there's an you know, agreement between us on what's shareable and what can go back into the EDA ecosystem. And so for Synopsis, we've always been doing this, right? We've been working with multiple companies. We learn from the new challenges that we have and build those solutions back into our products for the greater good of the semiconductor industry. So that continues as a journey. That doesn't change anything. But here, because of the challenges they bring up with, we have created these uh, ecosystem and partnership where we do special projects for IBM so that they are able to get up and running. So we've been doing that now almost for two years now, where we are looking at new challenges coming from them. We take those on with a priority and try to solve it for them so that they can move faster. So there are things that come in place, but there are some things where you bring it back into a product, just like, you know, what you learn from any other ecosystem. And that's for the greater good. So uh, in four or five years, you're going to have um, a pretty impressive uh, deep learning chip or, or, or set of technologies. What are you going to use them for? What do you want to use them for? Not like, okay, I've got a training set. We're going to put a training set on it. What do you want to use that deep learning for? Brian, if that's a question for IBM uh, as a business, yeah. As you know, our business is transforming, and uh, we are uh, focused on providing a hybrid cloud technology. No, 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 not IBM. You personally, it's like, wow, I've got this deep learning thing. I'm going to teach it how to, I'm going to teach it how to, you know, build a better laminate. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you want out of it? Well, as a researcher, yeah, right. Yeah. Researcher, it is it is very exciting to sh- see this journey and it's very exciting to see how much progress we are able to make in this field all the way from digital to analog uh, HI technology and uh, I I'm glad that uh, you know all of our partners can apply this into their product and services and that's a satisfaction to me, you know. When my research gets into our product and our business uh, partners product that's an absolute satisfaction to a researcher. And uh, we, we believe in partnership. And uh, uh, that's why we are continuously driving this, uh, this center in a very collaborative manner. Uh, so he's throwing it to you, Arun. So are you going to be, are you going to be using this, this AI to like make better design systems? Yeah, no doubt. I, I think for us, uh, there are three vectors I see that uh, this is going to give us. One is, uh, as AI architectures evolve, we are going to learn a lot as a company in EDA because these challenges have to be met. Introduce new product lines, maybe bring in more solutions into our existing product line, etc. The second aspect, which is also very exciting, is I'm also responsible for AI at Synopsys. So we are innovating lots of software solutions for EDA. And you know, if you take it at a very nutshell, what EDA has been doing for 20 years with algorithms, we've been generating data. Now, the time has come where data is starting to generate algorithms. This is the journey that Synopsys has been on. And when you look at it from that perspective, we need to be doing lots and lots of uh, training. You know, the complexity of a silicon chip on doing place and route is probably much more than AlphaGo, right? So how do you go about building solutions that solve it? So we are also looking hungry for architectures that we could actually leverage from and you know, solve those other kind of problems. So that's the other angle that I'm also interested in. And the third angle, of course, 
is that as a greater good for semiconductor, as we evolve this much faster, software has to become extremely close to hardware. I think this is where AI architectures differ from your regular CPUs and generic GPUs. So as you know, as Mukesh takes on the challenge with hybrid cloud or any of the top level software stack, they have a great compiler team and all that. So it makes it a great opportunity for us to look at prototyping software, hardware together. I think IBM has that all that stack put together. So that excites us to understand how can software influence, for example, network pruning. I think IBM has a relationship with MIT where they're looking at how can you prune your network so that you can do less compute and use less memory. So those things excite us too. So that's the third angle that we're interested in. So what I just heard is you're going to build a system that's going to replace Mukesh. (laughs) (laughs) Just to, just to close out on that, uh, you know, it's very unfortunate that the word AI is uh, uh, stuck in the business, artificial intelligence. We call it uh, augmented intelligence. You know, it's helping us to make better decisions rather than replacing us. So that's our, that's a new spin Mukesh. That's very clever. Yeah. (laughs) He's been, he's been watching too many science fiction movies yeah. until like Skynet takes over. <laughs> All right. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, it was fun talking to you. Thank you. We learned a lot. Keep reading EE Times for some of the most comprehensive coverage of artificial intelligence you can find. You might want to also check out our Silicon 100 feature from a few months back. It's a list of some of the 100 most dynamic startups in the electronics industry, and a large percentage of them are AI companies. There's a link on the webpage. And that's your weekly briefing for the week ending October 30th. Thank you for listening. The weekly briefing is available on all the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us via our website at www.eetimes.com slash podcasts, you'll find a transcript along with the links to the stories we mentioned. This podcast is produced by Aspen Core Studio. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Craig McCray at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week. So the news came out a couple weeks ago. It was leaked to the press. Uh, We wrote a couple of stories about what we expected the deal might be. One of them was yours. And uh, I went back over it. It seemed fairly prescient. Uh, you were talking. I about, like that. I like that word, prescient. That's and, a good and, word. Uh, I, I looked it up to make sure that I was I was pronouncing it correctly because I don't think I've ever actually heard anybody use it in speech before. Mm, I have, but that's okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, good. But so, I like it. So that's you can word. verify that I sp- I pronounced it correctly. That's good. I